0: The majority opinion of the United States Supreme Court, issued on June 24th, 2022, read very simply, held, the Constitution does not confer a right to abortion. Roe and Casey are overruled and the authority to regulate abortion is returned to the people and their elected representatives. If you have your Bible, turn to Psalm 90. We're going to pause from the Exodus study. This is this, I assume. I think, who knows? We we don't know what the future holds. But I assume a sermon like this will be something of a rarity uh, for me, for us, uh, in touching on something that is so explicitly current event and. Politics and culture and and all of that, I think Scripture is more than adequate and sufficient through the ministry of the Spirit to work on us individually, to give us insight and understanding as to how we live as godly people in an ungodly age. But there are some moments and times when the the world around us is touching on uh, events around us or touching on things that are so directly... um, taught and addressed in scripture that it would almost, well, it would seem almost like a dereliction of duty not to bring it to the congregation on a Sunday morning. And I think the end of Roe as constitutional law is one of those opportunities, uh, not so much because of the politics that are involved in it, but just simply on the basis of the clear teaching of the word of God as it concerns the sanctity of human life the fact that God has created every single person in His image, and that because we bear His image, He is the only one who is able to give authority for life to be taken or life to be saved. I don't think that, uh, at least for most of us in this room, I assume that I probably don't need to, to go into the reasons why we consider the recent decision in the Dobbs case to be good news. Uh, I think we're probably, for the most part, all on the same page. So here's what I'd like to do this morning. I want to just take a little bit of time to think through, to celebrate and to think through, what the church might consider now that we are looking at life after Roe. So, in that regard, I would say something like We want to praise, and we want to pray about life after road. That's where we are right now. As of Friday, we are in new territory. We are thankful and grateful to be in new territory. If you will give me a moment, I will make one personal comment, and then after that it will be straight to the matter at hand. Uh, for those of you who have been at Edgewood for a while, you know that our, our previous pastor, my father, had given his life to the, the pro-life cause. Uh, Edgewood was actually the first church in the nation to uh, to uh, to found and start a crisis pregnancy center. There were other centers and agencies that did that kind of work, but, but there had been, up until the early 80s when Edgewood did it, there had been no local church to have done that. And as a result of sort of that, that groundbreaking work uh, my father had the opportunity to do uh, to travel all across the country uh, speaking at pro-life conferences helping other churches found uh, pregnancy centers to help people uh, who were in the midst of uh, difficult situations who were contemplating abortion trying to save the lives of babies and just as important even more important bring men and women to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ so that they would pass not just physically but even spiritually out of death into life. I wish, I wish my dad was here today. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, my my girl, y'all got to settle down. We haven't even started on the sermon yet, all (laughs) right? My, uh, my wife and I were talking with our, with our girls about what had happened because they saw that, that we were interested, excited about what was going on in the news. This was on Friday morning, so, so we sat them down to explain to them, and, and one of the girls said, asked the question, Dad, do you think Granddad knows what's going on or, or sees what's <coughs> Sees what's happening. And I just said, that I don't really know what granddad sees or, or what he knows. I don't, I don't know how that, how that works. Like, is, being in the presence of God seems to be more than sufficient to draw your attention and to keep it fixed there. So do, do we know what's happening? I don't really know, but here's what I do know. Here's what I do know. 1 Corinthians 15, you don't need to turn there, but I, this is just briefly. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul goes through the longest passage detailing the promise of the resurrection in all of the New Testament, some 50-something verses. At the very end of 1 Corinthians 15, after trying to convince and assure Christians that there is coming a day when we will be bodily raised to enjoy new life in a new creation, that does not have sin or death or sorrow. He ends with these words. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, because the resurrection in the future is certain, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. I don't know. If my father sees what's going on here right now. But this I do know that because the resurrection of God's people is certain, that whether he sees it now or not, there is coming a day when he will see it. And we will see it with him together. And that is reason enough to celebrate. Psalm 90. I don't know how to handle a message like this. This is a momentous occasion. I'm not up to the task. None of us are. So let me just try to do four things as we offer praise and prayer for life without Roe. We're gonna work through it this way. Number one, we want to say right up front that we ought to rejoice. God has answered our prayers and he's rewarded our work. Rejoice. Number two, We want to remember that in the midst of our joy and our celebration, we never want to lose sight of the fact that righteous people are better than righteous laws. Righteous people are better than righteous laws. Number three, because we are gonna be moving into new territory, we want to remember Jesus' words to his own disciples that the servant who is not against you is for you. And then number four, we want to remind ourselves that we want to constantly renew our good work in the cause of life. So number one, rejoice because God has answered our prayers and has rewarded our work. If you're in Psalm 90... The first 12 verses of Psalm 90 is, starts off with a compare and contrast, and the, it opens with a statement on the fact that God is from everlasting to everlasting God. Because He is everlasting, He continues to be, for all time, the safety, the dwelling place of His people. And then it goes into a, a comparison In the light of God's everlasting, eternal nature, what is our life like? And our life in Psalm 90, compared to the everlasting God, is very short and brief. Barely a blip on the radar of time. In addition to that, not only is our life here as we know it very brief and very short, it is oftentimes very hard and very heavy. We live in a world that has been cursed by the fall, by our sin, by our disobedience, beginning with Adam and passed all the way down from generation to generation. We add to the brokenness of this world by our own personal, individual sins. And our sins bring consequences. It adds to the brokenness and the heaviness of this world. And Psalm 90 is saying that this heaviness, even in this brief life, that God's people experience the brevity and the heaviness of life. Because even though we are His people, we still suffer and toil under the weight of sin. But, starting at verse 13, there's a turn where Moses, who's said to be the author of this psalm, says, but it doesn't have to be all sorrow and toil even in this life. Listen to what he says. Psalm 90, verse 13. Do return, O Lord, how long will it be, and be sorry for your servants. Oh, satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days that you have afflicted us and the years that we have seen evil. Let your work, pay attention, verses 16 and 17, let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. I want to ask you to consider that what we have witnessed on Friday, what we are rejoicing in today, is essentially what Moses and God's people are praying for in Psalm 90, verses 16 and 17. We know that life is short. We know that life is hard. We know that life in this age is not all that it can be. But we also know that God is gracious and faithful of loving kindness to his people. And the way that he makes his loving kindness known to his people is by privileging us to know his presence and to see his work in our midst. When we see God at work, we're reminded of the fact that he has not abandoned us and that we are not alone. And on top of that, Not only do we want to see His glory and majesty, not only do we want to see evidence of His work taking place in our lives, in real time and space, we also want to know that our labor and our work is not empty and meaningless, which is why in the last verse, in verse 17, there's a cry. Not only do we want to see your work, Lord, but we want to see our work established. We want it to be permanent because everything else in this world is impermanent. Please don't let us toil and labor under the impression that all of this is meaningless. Show us that what we do counts for something. And God did that on Friday. For almost 50 years. Countless Christians have labored and worked to see a day like this come. Many of the people who labored most diligently, who were most faithful, did not even live to see the day come that they were working for. And we get to see it. That is not a given. That is not a guarantee. That is pure gift, that we would be alive to see the day when Roe is no longer the law of the land. It is pure blessing. People have worked, Christians, tirelessly, have worked in state legislatures. They've worked in Congress. They've worked in legal offices. They've worked in pregnancy centers. They've given their time to think tanks, to digital and print publications. They've worked in finances. They've preached. They've taught. They've participated in public demonstrations. They've petitioned their government. They've prayed. They have engaged in risky, difficult, hard, personal relationships trying to bring people to life in Christ. And many of the people who have done that kind of work were never certain that there was going to be any payoff for the work and the labor that they exerted. And here we are. Some of you in this room were alive when Roe was put into effect. You know what this country was like before Roe and after Roe. And I'm going to venture a guess. Alright? Maybe this is, this is me taking my skepticism and cynicism and, and burdening you with it. Alright? Maybe, I don't know. I'm going to guess, though, that if you were one of those people who knew your country before Roe and then also knew it after Roe, I'm going to guess that many of you thought that you would never get back to life before Roe. Some of you are in here. And you have never known life in this society without Roe. It was, God help us, it was normal. It was regrettable. It was sad. It was offensive. But it just was what it was. And many of us, older and younger, I think, even though our experiences and our point of references were different, many of us exercised and worked for the cause of life, probably, in many instances, with little more motivation than to say, I don't know if this is going to make any difference, but I know that it's right. I'm just simply going to obey and you didn't expect to see much, if anything, come from your work. And here we are. It is good and it is right for God's people to walk in faith and obedience, to do what God has called us to do, to take the word that he has given us and to allow it to permeate into our hearts and minds and into the culture and society around us It is good and right for God's people to walk in faith and obedience, not because we have a guarantee that we will always see what we hope to see, but simply because that is what Christ calls us to do. That is good and right. There is a blessing in being obedient in the call of Christ, even if you see no fruit or no reward in this present time. You will be blessed for that. But it is a blessing on top of a blessing that the Lord in His wisdom and in His providence would say, but at this unique point in time, my people at Edgewood in 2022, they will be able to see the fruit of their labor. He does not owe us that. For that alone, we ought to be singing. He does not have to be kind. He does not owe us this gift. Let me also say then that because of the fact that we get these little examples, these these little moments in which we can say, look at how unbelievably good God is. Understand that from this moment forward, This becomes, much like in the rest of written revelation, right? These things happen so that God can give us real-life instances to refer back to, to steady us, and to make us steadfast when we continue to walk forward. In the days to come, I'm sure whether it's on this issue or on any other matter, whether it's personal, corporate, national, anything like that, I know that there are going to be confusing times. I know that there are going to be times, you can bank on it, when we're not going to know what God is up to. But he gives us moments like these so that we can at least say, we don't know what the end will be, only God does, but we know that when the end comes, it will be worth it. Therefore, we will not grow weary and lose heart. It is a good day to sing and to rejoice and to praise God together, in the car, if you have a prayer closet, if you have a bathroom, wherever it is that you may go for peace and quiet, you ought to be singing and praying and praising God for His goodness to us. Number two, as we rejoice... That an immoral law is struck down, and that we have the opportunity now to see righteous laws enacted. We want to celebrate and we want to rejoice. But we also want to remember that it is better to have righteous people than to have righteous laws. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and look at verses 8 through 11. Paul is thinking primarily here about the Old Testament law. But the point that he makes has a broader application to the nature and function of law in general. So consider with me, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8-11, through 11, Paul says this, and I'm in 2 Timothy, that's not going to do us any good. 1 Timothy 1, verse 8, but we know... "...that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Go back up to verse 9. The law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious. Let's, Let's clarify where we stand right now. The Dobbs decision that came down does not make abortion illegal. What it does is that it takes protection away from abortion and now enables the states to limit or even prohibit abortion by law. That means that for many states, you might even say most states, What we're about to see right now is a period of time where each state, with our legislatures and representatives, are going to be going through the process of trying to establish what the law will be when it comes to abortion. Society, humanity, this is not unique to America, In 2022, understand that. Humanity is so broken that we have to write laws that say you cannot kill a baby. We have to say that. Is there anyone in this room who would not rather live in a society where that act is so unthinkable that there is no need for a law like that to be written? Wouldn't you rather be in a society of people who are so committed to the sanctity of life, to the righteousness revealed in God's Word, that it would be absurd to think that we even have to write laws like that. Do you, see what, do you see the point? The reason that we have to have these laws on the books is because laws are given to restrain evil and wickedness. What we want in our heart of hearts is God's people, because we know this day is coming. We want it to get here sooner. We don't want to live under mere restraint. We want to live in a place where righteousness rules and reigns. And that kind of righteousness that makes abortion laws unnecessary, that will never, ever come through an elected official. Never. It will never come through a legislative body. It will never come through a court system. That kind of righteousness can only come by the miracle of regeneration, and only God can do that. What we need to be mindful of is yes, a a thousand times yes, We want to praise the Lord for what it is that we are witnessing right now. And yet at the same time, we want to with wisdom say, we care for all life, but especially eternal life. We want to take opportunities. We want to appeal to people. We want to work. Not merely to restrain evil, but to eradicate it by the saving power of Jesus Christ. Let me pause right here and say, I I don't know the personal history of everyone who is here in this room. But if there is anyone in this room who in your history in the past, perhaps not known to anyone else in this room, you have actually... Committed the sin of abortion. You you have that stain on your conscience. Understand that the righteousness that we are longing to see in the hearts and minds of people, that comes with a full pardon and complete cleansing. Because Christ has suffered for that sin. You no longer have to be punished for it. You no longer have to suffer for it. Because Christ took that sin on himself. Because he clothed you with his perfection and his righteousness, you can boldly approach the throne of grace to find grace and mercy in your time of need. And we're here as a church body, as a church congregation, as a church family to say that if that happens to be you, we would love the privilege and the opportunity to show you the love of Christ. So what we want to see, as we look forward to a new day, we want to see more freedom to engage people for the cause of life. We want to see people not only convinced of the fact that life and death is serious, but eternal life is also a serious matter. We want people to run and flee from the heinous crime of murder, not merely because They are being threatened with external penalties, but because their hearts are loving the truth and want to walk in the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Righteous people are better than righteous laws. Number three, remember what Jesus told his own disciples. You can turn to Luke 9, verses 49 through 50, that the servant who is not against you is for you. Luke 9, 49 through 50. John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him because he doesn't follow along with us. But Jesus said to him, Don't hinder him, for he who is not against you is for you. He who is not against you is for you. One of the big challenges that we will face as Christians now is that the lay of the land has totally shifted on the issue of life. Now that Roe is no longer operative and there is freedom for the states to determine what their laws will be. Christians in Georgia will be playing on a different field than Christians in California. You understand that, right? Okay? Because the fields are so diverse and varied, there is not going to be a one-size-fits-all answer as to how we move forward to try to continue to pursue the cause of life. Even when the Christian community in general could walk in lockstep together for the overall universal goal of seeing an end to row, Even in those conditions where there was broad consensus and agreement, there was even then disagreement as to how to go go about trying to get rid of Roe. So, for example, not to bore you with details, but some Christians would advocate for an incremental approach. That is to say, because, at the time that Roe was, was standing, because it is so entrenched, We're never going to be able to, with one fell swoop, get rid of it. What we need to do is take a look at the long game, and we need to take one small step after another and, and work our way from the margins in so that we make the playing ground more level so that one day we'll get to a point where road no longer exists. Other Christians said, Well, we think that the incrementalist approach looks an awful lot like compromise. You're willing to accept certain abortions if other abortions are factored out. That sounds like compromise. How can you compromise on life? You you get the idea? No, it's, it's all or nothing. We're not interested in small, little, strategic victories. We want this done with. Now multiply that by 50. If you're a Christian in California who wants to see lives saved, how do you go about making that happen when the deck is stacked against you in the dominant culture and society and in the state legislature, as opposed to what we experience here in the quote-unquote Bible Belt. Proverbs says that by wise counsel you will wage war and that in an abundance of counselors there is victory. Understand that the assumption there is that you have an abundance of good counselors, maybe some better than the others, but, but we'll say for the sake of the argument, a bunch of good counselors. An abundance of counselors is not taken because they're all going to say the same thing. That's not why you have an abundance of counselors. An abundance of counselors is there so that you can have people giving different perspectives and different considerations to an issue that is not so clear-cut which means that counselor one will oftentimes disagree with counselor number two. The advice that you get from counselor 10 is going to be different than the advice that you get from counselor 20. The last thing that we want to do, the last thing that we want to do as we move forward is to require people, Christians, who are committed to the authority of God's Word, who are committed to the cause of life, the last thing we want to do is to say, you must do everything exactly like me, or else you're not serious about what Scripture says. Our situation is not the same as everyone else. We all serve one master. To that one master, we will give an account. I do not give an account, well, in one sense I do, but you understand. We do not give an account to each other. Ultimately, we give an account to the Lord. Every servant will answer to his Lord and master for the way that he conducted himself in service to the king and his kingdom. People be very, very patient and gracious with Christians who find themselves in a context or in a setting that is not identical to yours, who has to make decisions that you do not have to make, and oftentimes extremely difficult decisions. Be very careful about speaking dogmatically, on issues that the scripture does not speak dogmatically on. At the same time, do not be so bashful or intimidated that you cannot lovingly call your brother or sister to account when they are compromising what the scriptures actually do, say, and teach. Be wise and gracious in the way that you interact with your brothers and sisters. As we move forward. Number four, renew your good work. Galatians six, verses nine and ten. Sort of like the the you're being put through your paces. You crest the top of a hill, and you know you still got more tr- more track or more cross country course ahead of you. But the temptation is once you get past the the burning sensation of trying to run up the hill, you just want to pause for a minute and just exhale. Can I not just have two minutes? No, the race isn't done yet. You're not finished. There will be a temptation to grow lax, or if not lax, to think or to carry on with business as usual, not adapting to the new realities of the situation that we find ourselves in. Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10 Paul says, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, because we know that every good work will be something that we reap the reward from, so then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is not to put a guilt trip on on anyone, least of all the people here at Edgewood. I don't know how many years this church has so faithfully supported. What started off as the Crisis Pregnancy Center, now Sound Choices, New Beginnings Adoption Agency in its early days. Every other year, national directors' conferences. The pastor leaves from time to time to go speak at major functions and events. You gave time, you gave energy. You gave money and resources, and some of you opened your homes up to bring women in to protect them, to encourage them, to support them. You made real, genuine sacrifices. You are to be commended for that. The Lord is pleased with your work on his behalf. But know that as we go forward, if there is an opportunity now to give life even more protection so that more life is being brought in, the challenges will continue to exist. The challenges in many respects may often become more diverse in the way that they present themselves. And we want to look for opportunities where we're not only doing good, necessary work and support for a place like Sound Choices, but we want to look and say, but even outside of that work that we have been so connected to for so many years, are there new ways that as God's people we can step into a dark world and offer light and hope? One of the things that we are going to try, we are going to begin to implement. It is in the very early stages and we'll, and you'll be hearing more about it. We think that we have a good opportunity to partner with Sound Choices in a, in a, not a new, you know, well we done that, now we're gonna do something different, but in a new additional way through what's called Family Advocacy Ministry. By that we simply mean this, we expect that if Georgia provides greater protections for the unborn, that there will be more people who find that what they thought they could do as far as the termination of a pregnancy, the taking of a life, is not available to them anymore, and they will find themselves in what they believe to be a very desperate situation. And we want to seize on those moments and say, we know that you think that this is desperate but let us show you the riches of Christ. And that's gonna take on a number of different forms. That may mean that in our partnership with Sound Choices, that we get a call from one of the directors or one of the volunteers to say, we've got a unique situation here with a young woman, or we've got a unique situation here with a young couple who has come in, and they don't know that they have the ability to give birth to and raise a child. And we want to be able to say, send them to us. Because we'll find out where it is that they lack and out of the riches of Christ, we will provide for that lack. That may be providing financial support. It may be Providing meals every so often. It may be that a couple or a mom already has a couple kids and she doesn't think that she's physically capable of taking another responsibility on and we can say, how about you let us babysit for you? One night a week, two nights a week. Car breaks down single mom trying to find work. Oh, we need to get your car fixed so that you can go and find work. we can do that, right? Do, Do you see? So you advocate for people who are in a situation where they need the kind of support and help that many of us take for granted, but far too many people find to be very difficult if not impossible to find we want to be a part of that we want to say because the landscape is changing we want to be people who are wise and discerning in our ability to to respond to the needs of the moment to build and expand the kingdom God by his grace has given us has given us new breathing room he is pushed back the limitations and the boundaries that we had to operate in and is giving us more room to roam. And we want to take that ground with gusto. We want to say that we are a people of faith who believe that real living faith issues forth into good works for our neighbor. Because faith without works is dead. And God does not call dead people to himself. So, spend time today when we close the service out. You might just want to talk and laugh and smile and express your utter surprise at this turn of events, with some other people in this room, you ought to do that. You probably shouldn't rush out. Or if you are going to rush out, you should rush out singing and praising God for what it is that He has privileged us to be able to see. And if you're not going to rush out singing and praising God as you're making your way out because you would feel a little odd or awkward, well, you need to do that in the car when you're driving home. And if you can't do it in the car on the ride home because your kids begin to cover their ears or your spouse is telling you to be quiet or because you're afraid to look like a fool when you're at the traffic light, you need to get home. You need to find somewhere where you can go and you can praise God for his goodness and his kindness. Let's pray. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be all the glory and the praise. We have waited for this day for so long, and yet, Father, we have to be—I have to be honest and admit—while I waited for a day like this, I don't know that I ever expected that it would actually come. You have done wonderful things that we did not expect, Father. I pray that you would use these events to provide encouragement and hope to your servants here at Edgewood and other local churches here in the Columbus and Phoenix City area, across the nation, across the world even, to know that their labor is not in vain. Father, give us that eternal perspective that says we long to see the fruit of our labor with these natural eyes. But even if we don't, we know that because of the resurrection that is to come, that we will see every reward that you have promised because of our faithful obedience in following our Savior and our King, Jesus Christ. Father, continue to fill us with wisdom by your Spirit. May we know your presence active in our hearts and minds. Give us discernment to know how to live in a different environment, in a different context than what we have been used to now for almost 50 years. Build your church, Father, we ask, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen. Would you stand to your feet as we continue to worship our Savior through song? Don't drop a single anchor, we're almost home. Through every toil and danger, we're almost home. How many pilgrim saints have before us gone? No stopping now, we're almost home. That promised land is calling, we're almost home tears shall fall, then we're almost home. Make ready now your souls, for that kingdom come. No turning back, we're almost home. Almost home, we're almost home. So press on toward that blessed shore, oh praise the Lord. We're almost home This journey ours together We're almost home Unto that great forever We're almost home What song a new we'll sing Round that happy throne Come faint of heart We're almost home It's sure. oh praise the lord where are all... Vapor, we're almost home. That sun is setting yonder. We're almost home. Take courage, for this darkness shall break the dawn. Oh, lift your eyes. We're almost home. Almost home. on toward the blessed shore, oh praise the Lord, we're almost home, almost home. we're almost home. so press on toward the blessed shore, oh praise the Lord, we're almost home, amen, give him joy. Amen. And we'll close today's service. Don't forget to fellowship with one another, but we also want to close the service with Psalm chapter 121, verse 7 and 8. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. God bless.